Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, August the 25th, 2023, a lazy Friday in late August. What better to do over the weekend than read a novel? And uh, our authority on keen on on literature of all kinds is my friend Bethan Patrick, uh, a regular uh, guest on the show. My ears and eyes and mind on uh, the publishing industry. She was on the show at the beginning of the month talking about her seven best novels of the summer, but we felt that um, it wasn't enough. Some of you already read those, so we wanted to catch up in this late weekend in August with some other uh, novels that uh, Bethann liked. Not everybody liked them. Bethann, do you want to just say something about uh, why you chose all these books broadly before we get into details? Sure, Andrew. Hi, glad to be back and always great to be here. So I chose all of these because they were books that I read and didn't have to read, you know, necessarily, but really loved for different reasons. And a few of them had very mixed reviews. And so I thought this is a great chance for me to say why I love the book, even if some of my colleagues didn't. There's a couple on here that everyone loves too. So happy to be well, able- Let's begin with some of those. Nothing, yeah. uh, nothing is more fun than mixed reviews. What books divided critics, shall we say, euphemistically? Well, I will say that Brandon Taylor's The Late Americans, which is uh, his third book, his he had um, a novel, and then he had a book of short stories, Filthy Animals. And The Late Americans is like his first two books, set in Iowa City among grad students. And a lot of them are writers uh, because he did attend the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is one of the most prestigious out there. And Brandon is quite an interesting phenomenon. He is brilliant. He was a scientist before he went into writing full time. And one of the things that some people have said about his writing is, gosh, Brandon's so funny on Twitter. He does have a very, very distinct voice on Twitter, and it's extremely humorous and also quirky and eccentric. And people say when they review his books, oh, gosh, you know, his writing isn't anything like his Twitter presence. And I want to say... I think that's really unfair. I don't think anyone should be expected to take their Twitter persona onto the page. I know so the I, people like his Twitter persona. They want the novels to be more like his Twitter. They do. So I think I, I heard uh, through the grapevine, um, uh, Bethann, that they changed the name of Twitter, didn't they? They did. And, you know, it's I don't even I can't even say it. Andrew. You can't even say it. Well, we know what you're thinking. But anyway, one of those social media. <laughs> but, platforms. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I want to say about the late Americans is Brandon Taylor. You know, there is a, you might be aware of this, Andrew. There is a prize called the Bulwer Lytton Prize for bad sex writing. Oh, I do know that. Yeah, yeah it's really funny. I've now, always wanted to win it. The only problem is I've never written any sex scenes. <laughs> Uh, Brandon wouldn't win the Bulwer-Lytton Prize. He writes really well about sex, but 
he writes, especially in the late Americans, a lot about very bad sex. So the writing is terrific, but the sex is just disappointing. I didn't think they had sex in Iowa, did they? No, right, exactly. How are you going to keep them down on the farm, Andrew? I mean, yeah. this is a very interesting book. Keep them up on the farm. Sorry about that one. <laughs> yes. So it, it was the criticism, um, and I'm guessing here, Beth, um, that it was a bit insular, a bit too inside the Beltway, uh, Iowa writing about Iowa. No, not at all. Oh. Not at all. Brandon is a very sophisticated person. I think a lot of people find his writing ra that has rather a flat affect. And I think that comes from his scientist observer. Oh, okay. And so I just want to say really quickly that um, he writes really well about people who are trying to get started in creative lives and careers. And I think that maybe the late Americans is not a book that everyone is going to love, but you're, we're going to see a lot of great, great writing from Brandon Taylor. So why not read it now and say, you knew um, earlier than anyone else. Yeah. Get into some Brandon Taylor, invest in Brandon Taylor becomes before he becomes too popular. What else got mixed reviews, um, Bethan, that you like? Well, I'll tell you, there is, um, I'm going to go to a novel by a woman next. And I think everyone would have a great time with this one, especially it had me at Chinese Pirate Queen. Okay, this is Deep as the Sky, Red as the Sea yeah, by Rita Chang yeah. And uh, a lot of people said that her writing. And this is Rita Chang. Epic. Yes. A lot of people said that, uh, you know, her writing was a little bit messy or not quite as polished as it should be. But it is a great, well-researched historical novel about someone you probably haven't heard of. And this is a real historical figure, a woman who had to choose between you know, pleasing her husband and taking power for herself. And she did seize power on the high seas. It's um, impeccably researched. You never feel like she's hitting you over the head with details. They just wash over you like waves. And it's one of those novels that's worth saving for just the right weekend. And Andrew, here's something I say is really great about this. Chang Epig notes that pirate I don't know what you would call them, fleets or pirate governances were very meritocratic. And that's an interesting concept for us to look at in today's world. Although not everyone approves of meritocracy these days. That is true. That is exactly Did correct. they have universities for pirates? Uh, no, that was definitely, you know, here's an oar, see what you can do. One of my... And, and again, I speak very much as an amateur here because I don't read a, a, as much literature as I would like, especially contemporary American literature. But sometimes I think, given what America is like these days, that some of the novels aren't quite as observant about cultural and political complexities and hypocrisy. I know one or two of the books on your list are explicit in their addressing American reality, maybe not late Americans, but one or two of the other books. Well, the first one I'd point to, and you're you're exactly right, is Lydia Kiesling's Mobility. Mm. And I came to this a little bit later than I wish I had. I think it's uh, really one of the most 
trenchant books of the year because it's about a young woman named Bunny who grows up in a foreign service family overseas in um, 1998. In, in 1998. And this is true to life with Lydia Kiesling. Her father actually, who was a prominent um, diplomat, actually resigned over the United States' invasion of Iran in 2003. So this is something- Iraq, we never invaded Iraq. Iraq. Excuse me, oh my- that was, a, that was a Freudian era. It's, fr it's Friday, it's Friday. Right. That's next week, they're going into Iran. Next week, they're going into Iran. A anyway, he resigned over the United States' invasion of Iraq. And Bunny grows up and makes the choice to go into geoengineering, which really means the oil industry. She starts, she wants to be called Elizabeth as she gets older. And Elizabeth wants all of the things many modern women want. You know, she has a lot of, um, you know, nail uh, appointments. She has a lot of clothes. She lives a very good life in Texas. And so the people who disapprove of the life she's chosen, make her start to think, uh, is there any way to live in the world, but also save it? So that's a real tension in mobility. And um, I think Kiesling said this on NPR, that this is a great observation. Teenage girls are much more observant than most people give them credit for. Yeah, it's an interesting so, point. Yeah, and I thought that was such a great point because that's why she starts mobility when um, Bunny is young. Because and Bunny, is it mostly a satire on climate change as much as anything else? I, you know, I wouldn't say it's precisely a satire, and it's not precisely about climate change. It's much more about how the America that we've created and the economy that we live in affects our ability to do anything on climate change. And so she doesn't want to be a jerk, but she also, this is Elizabeth slash bunny or bunny slash Elizabeth, but she also doesn't want to give anything up. And I think that Kiesling is absolutely you know, she slices and dices this idea that we can just keep up with all of the things. The uh, we can have everything. Yeah. So it is satiric, but I wouldn't quite call it a satire. It's very much grounded in reality. You use this word trenchant, which is a nice literary word to describe books that are, are, are critical of contemporary America. A any others on the list that are particularly trenchant? Oh, well, there's one that also, it's both trenchant, but it's also been highly criticized. And I think this is a fascinating book, Sun House by David James Duncan. So Duncan hasn't written a novel for 31 years. And oh that God. was something that made me think, hmm, it's worth a look. If someone decides after three decades that they are going to put out something this big you know it's i don't know how many pages long sun house is it's 700 pages 650 pages and a lot of it is backstory but then sun house goes into an eco capitalist community slash utopia in montana and one of the things that uh, there are tons of characters in this, it is something you can really get lost in. So if you want a book from someone like Duncan, if you know him from the Brothers K, his 1992 
lesser opus. This is definitely his magnum opus. Um, he's just trying to show readers a way through the world. And the world for David James Duncan definitely has a lot of Buddhist, Buddhist first principles in it. And it's also very spiritual, but very much about people's actual individuality. So I enjoyed this long journey with people you've never met before. It reminded me a lot of the Canterbury Tales. Uh, not oh, that's so high praise. I wonder, <laughs> talking of um, books that sometimes get panned, do sometimes these blurbs get on your nerves on the James David James Duncan page, which obviously he's choosing the reviews. Sure. One William Du Bois says, Sunhouse is one of the greatest imaginative achievements I have encountered in a lifetime of reading. Does sometimes that sort of thing get on your nerves? Because you, that's all you ever see. It is. And, you know, I have done that. I've been on the cover of books with blurbs that say, you know, this reads like a masterpiece. And I try to be very, very sure of myself when I say something Do like you, that. Sometimes when you see someone's name associated, uh, there are a couple of people I... For, for nonfiction, particularly in tech and business, if if Ariana Huffington ever recommends something, by definition, I won't read it. And I, I think Reed Hoffman is also in the same category. Are there certain, we won't mention names, but are there reviewers that you keep well clear of if they like a book? By definition, does that mean you won't? It, 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 there are. There are. It's just a couple. But uh, I very, very much, as you pointed out with your examples, it's a couple of people that I just know, is it our taste that differs? Is it our sense of what we say that differs? As I said, as I said, I want to be really sure if I say something reads like a masterpiece, as I did for Shuggy Bain, um, Douglas Stewart's. Right, then that was an Atlantic book that yeah. uh, and my if friend I Peter that, picked out of the... Uh... The pile, so it's quite an achievement. What about in, in speaking of um, trenchancy, if there's such a word? What about the vegan? This is actually such an interesting and I think maybe a little undersung novel that, like Kiesling's mobility, is again to say that word trenchant, very much about how we live now. And what I love about the vegan is. Andrew Lipstein is a chronicler of Brooklyn and its discontents, right? Mm. This one goes a little further than his last one did out of, out of Brooklyn, but this is about a young hedge, hedge fund manager who becomes so anxious about eating animals that he gets out of his, he's totally out of his depth. He decides that he's going to stop eating any kind of animal product and he's going to stay away from this and stay away from that. And he's going to keep a couple of lizards as pets. And it's, oh my really, God. they're very, I know. Very I know. Is anyone content in Brooklyn? No, I don't think anyone is content in Brooklyn, but what I loved about the vegan is that it's about what it means to be a good person and or what it should mean. What is it, it should a mean. And it reminded me, of a, a novelist from England whose work I love, Tim Parks. And that yeah, is my praise. Um, I, I think Tim Parks is one of the most um, brilliant observers of mm. 
what it does mean or what it should mean to be a good person. And sometimes um, Lipstein has this line about sometimes it seemed as though they treated virtue the way previous generations treated wealth, which is so perfect. Yeah, which is certainly perfect for Brooklyn. I, I A couple yeah. of weekends ago, I did a 20 mile walk with my son around Brooklyn right? and I didn't see a single contented person. So. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Brooklyn to bring out its discontent. And I have to ask you, we're going to take a break in a second, sure. um, Bethan. But how do you read all these books? How many books do you read a week? Well, you know, I probably, I, I try to read four or five a week. And I have colleagues who read much more than that. Uh, I mean, I you can read, read too much. You can't read much more. I, I always find if you read more than a book a day, the second book just washes over you, doesn't it? You know, one of the things that I believe, in, and that is a really good point, if I have something to review, a full review, you know, um, whether it's 700 words, 1,200 words, whatever, I try definitely not to read something else for that day and maybe the day after. So there are weeks when I only read one book. It, it happens. It definitely does, but I think that's rare. You are... Probably the best read person I know, Bethan Patrick. We're going to take a short break. We're going to have a little note from our sponsor, uh, Liberty's Quarterly. And then uh, we'll be back with Bethan with some other interesting books, which some people have overlooked, but she thinks are well worth reading in the, 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 dog, the late dwindling dog days of summer. So we'll be back in a second after a message from our sponsor. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe and learn more at libertiesjournal.com. So we are back with my friend, uh, um, Bethann Patrick, who's the book critic of the LA Times, many other publications she writes for. Uh, she's been talking about some books which some of us have overlooked this summer. What else? Let's move beyond the trench and anything romantic or well, funny I mean, this, uh, that you're, you've got on this list. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I'll say is really funny and and um, but also sort of chilling is a book called The Housekeepers by Alex Hay. And this is fairly light. It's about a group of Edward, Edwardian era housekeepers in England. Yeah, I like the sound of this one. I yeah, it's really fun. So basically, Mrs. King is the housekeeper in this grand place, and she is caught in the men's quarters and dismissed immediately. Next morning, she's out, gives up her keys, everything. And she actually decides that she's found some kind of secret and that she needs to find out more about it. And that means she's going to have to get back into the house. So she plans a heist with some other women. What Hay has captured in this debut novel is the band of women of downstairs in London's great mm. houses, but also in London's great parts of crime. I mean, there is an 
actress. There is a pawn shop owner. There is, a, a, you know, there are women who are working as street walkers and street sweepers. So it is one of the best books about the class system in the Edwardian period that I've read in a long time. And it almost reminded me, not even of Upstairs, Downstairs, more of Gosford Park, if you remember the movie, which is so um, amazing. Yeah, it sounds quite cinematic, I'm sure. Someone will yeah, it, it is. And it's very fun because it's a, a yarn, right? I mean, this is a this is something you can zip through, but at the same time, you are going to see how women always form sisterhoods, even when they're not supposed to, and how they can manage to pull things off and bring truly sordid, awful crimes um, and bad behavior to light when their powers activate together. So I really think this is like the, the perfect Labor Day weekend novel because it's fast and furious and fun. But if you love Gosford Park, Downton Abbey, Upstairs, Downstairs, you are going to find this delicious. Well, the three Fs, fast, furious and fun uh, on mm -hmm. that one. All about a heist, but not a murder. What about this one? Uh, My Murder. Oh, uh, this appropriately is... titled uh, novel. Uh, sounds uh, an interesting one about uh, maybe not Agatha Christie, maybe a contemporary version of, uh, of some sort of murder investigation. Well, this is a very interesting one. I almost think Katie Williams has invented a new genre. And I do think that this book has gotten some good reviews and good publicity, but I want it to go even further. Yeah, you don't. So that doesn't sound like very good. I mean, it got the um, it got a starred reviewed uh, on uh, on Kirkus, which is pretty good. It is. And so this one, her last one was the Tell the Machine Goodnight. And so she combines. Which is a good title. Isn't that a good title? She combines domestic suspense. Um, you know, she has these moms and these women in suburbia with sci-fi thriller elements. In this one, it happens to be cloning. And then she's also got a touch of noir. And I'm. Wow. I don't even know how she manages to get that in there, Andrew. It's really good. And the clones in this case are living inside the house. What has happened, and this is not a spoiler, is that Louise, the protagonist, was killed by a serial killer named Edward Early. And so seven women whom Early killed have been brought back to life as clones there's and your sisterhood again, right? It's a sisterhood again. It is. And this sisterhood, it's 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 really creepy, not just because they're clones. I mean, it's the clones themselves are pretty, pretty wonderful people, if you can call them people. I don't know. But what I will say is that what's creepy is Louise comes back and finds out that there's this entire industry that's spun up around Edward Early, podcasts and, you know, shows and writing. And it really takes a look at how we examine true crime in this culture and how we get our kicks from it. And here's Louise back from the dead, even though she's not quite the same as she was before. And she has to contend with these other clones who've been brought back to life with 
how they are going to affect what happens next. I loved it. So if if you haven't heard of, of Katie Williams, My Murder, another great read for Labor Day weekend. Yeah, I sometimes feel, I won't say sorry for these novelists, but it's, it's a tough life. Uh, I mean, they're not getting big advances. And most of them aren't particularly well known. Right. Um, how many do they need to sell to be a success generally? I know it depends yeah. from book to book, but yeah. for a novel, uh, if it sells, what, more than 10,000, 5,000? I would say for, uh, you know, if it depends on whether you're with the big five, Andrew, or with an independent press. For an independent press, 5,000 to 7,000 is great. Um, with your, if you're with Penguin Random House, you definitely want to be selling ten to twenty thousand. Uh, what kind of advances now is, and I know it, speaking of the typical novelist is 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 a bit of a generalization, but is are they getting advances of fifty to a hundred thousand or much less normally? I would say uh, generally much less. And again, hello, Katie Williams. I'm not speaking for you. Yeah, no, we, we we we're not we're not. Picking on, how can people afford to live if they're, let's say they get paid 20 or 25, which isn't so bad as an advance? A book takes them a year or two, three. Mm-hmm. How can someone exist on that? Well, very few of us. I do know I have people I count as friends who live full-time as writers and do get the the juicy, big advances. But I also know plenty of people in my shoes and I have had, you know, $25,000 advances in the past. And uh, even those, as you pointed out, aren't enough to live on. So most of us are doing all kinds of things. We're teaching, we're podcasting, um, we're writing freelance articles, or we're working part-time for a trade magazine. There's a lot of ways to put together a writing life. It is not easy. And I'm not saying that I don't want to give anyone the impression that I'm saying, oh, it's all fine. It's not all fine. There are a lot of things that need to change. Um, And maybe that's advances or maybe it's not. But I will say that for the average to decent book advance, you still have to do um, other things to have a living. And, you know, in my case, I have a partner with a full-time job who has benefits. So, you know, everyone has got That's to speak. If you're an aspiring novelist, find a, a partner with full-time benefits like Bethan. Yeah. One, uh, one, I hadn't heard of a lot of these writers, but one writer on the list who I had heard of uh, is, uh, whoops, is, um, <laughs> is uh, Richard Russo. Richard no, Russo. Where, where is Richard Russo? What's his book? Richard Russo is somebody's fool. Oh, whoops! Yeah, sorry. So we, yeah, we no got worries. Those wrong. Uh, um, somebody's fool is guy like that. I mean, we don't know his details, but our, our best-selling writers like Russo, they're under less pressure, obviously, but more is expected in terms of sales. There it is. I've known um, Richard Russo actually for quite a while, and uh, he is someone who does live off of his writing. And I'm very glad because one of the reasons I put this on the list, a lot of people um, follow his books and know about the trilogy that this is the last volume in. Um, But what I want to tell you, in case you haven't picked it up yet, is that not only is this the last of 
the trilogy that began with Nobody's Fool in 1993 and continued with Everyone's Fool in 2016. Somebody's Fool is the best of the three. It is such a great conclusion. And in this, this is what's fascinating. This is what's known formally as the North Bath Trilogy. Correct. And Sully, who was the protagonist in the first two books, is now dead. So Donald Sully Sullivan is dead. And North Bath, his beloved hometown, is actually being annexed by uh, nearby Schuyler Springs, which is much, much um, more affluent. And so his son, Peter, who is basically a deflated academic, is... All academics, Bethan, are deflated. (laughs) That's by definition. You can't be an inflated academic. (laughs) It's true. And so this is, you know, a working class community in all of its warts and everything glory okay it's um, about the rust belt and mm. it's and it about- sounds like old-fashioned in a, in a classical sense old-fashioned literature it is it's an old-fashioned comic novel and as such it deals a great deal with uh, deals a great deal sorry it's friday afternoon everyone it concerns men to a great degree and russo has always written a lot about men. First of all, he is a white man. Second of all, he grew up in upstate New York in a Rust Belt town. He knows whereof he speaks. And he's taken this and said, okay, what are the good things? What are the bad things? What needs to change? Well, there is that very strong tradition. I, everyone, everyone from John Updike to, in a way, Philip Roth. In this yes. Tradition. Yes, absolutely. So that's what he's doing. And I I just thought this book was warm without being overly sweet and truthful without being unkind and cruel. It's just it it is also I'm I'm going to load up everyone's tote bags. This is another one. Great for Labor Day. Sorry. Yeah. Well, if you've got nothing to do, you shouldn't have anything to do on Labor Day weekend. Another one. And then we got a couple more. One I put yes. up by accident with an unusually named writer. I have to admit, I've never heard of us. Never heard of, of Ore Agbaji Williams, The Three of Us. Tell me about this. Book. Yeah, that's about, that's about right. And uh, this is a, a debut novel from and another starred Kirkus review, so some yes. people are liking it. I know. So I am choosing this one. I'm choosing not because it was in any way critically mixed. Actually, so many people love this, including my pal Ron Charles at the Washington Post, mm. who, you know, if, if Ron wanted, he could choose just the most famous books, whatever's coming up. But Ron is a very good reader. Um, And when I say good reader, what I mean by that is he doesn't just choose the standards that he could. He seeks out books like this. It's by a young um, Nigerian writer. And one of the things I love about the book is it's about the tensions between a young woman, a young bride, a newlywed, her husband and her best friend. So one day the best friend comes over to the wife's house and says, here's some wine, here's some chips, let's have a good gossip. And they sit down and they're having a great time. And then the husband comes home. And at first it seems like, okay, great. He's going to grab a drink and join them. But it becomes apparent very quickly that 
the best friend and the husband loathe each other. Okay. I mean, mm, which isn't unusual. It isn't unusual. And it's so funny. Um, it's a uh, Ron called it a comedie a trois and nothing that happens is expected. And at the same time, it's also not a murder mystery, but what, the crux of the matter is, is that the young woman and her husband have decided to start trying for a baby. And of course, the best friend is furious about this. And that does happen, you know, to people in their 20s and 30s when someone says, that's it, it's time for us to become parents. And they have a friend who is single or infertile or, um, you know, going through some other kind of problems with relationships. It can really... Uh, make things awkward. And in this book, which takes place over a single afternoon, almost everything in modern Nigerian life comes up. And clearly the author is not necessarily someone who ascribes to the very traditional um Way. Yeah, it sounds a very British kind of book. It is. Tesco it is a very British wine. I don't know if book. Americans know what Tesco wine is. Exactly. Exactly. Better off not knowing it. Either. No, it's it's, it, it's it's very sharp, and uh, it's uh, wonderful that it takes place in just an afternoon. That's also, I think, that's kind of to me, that's kind of British. I love the way. Yeah, the British um, still have afternoons. We lost <laughs> these those in America somewhere along the way. And the final, um, the final uh, book, which you thought you'd covered before, but I don't think you had. It's long listed for the 2023 Booker Prize, so it's a. It's been universally well reviewed. The bee sting. Tell me about this. Uh, a fa- oh. According to the New Yorker, at least uh, a family saga of desperation and denial. Not the first or the last novel about that. Well, and not the first nor the last novel from Ireland about desperation and denial. And yet, this is a triumph. Everything about the bee sting is amazing. This actually is a book that reads like a masterpiece. And I am not exaggerating. This is a book that I think will stay on shelves for a long time. How far do you have to go back in your own life to find something that you would change and that would change everything and make your present much better? That's what's going on with this family in the bee sting. They're at a really tough time. Um, The husband's Business is failing. Is this a contemporary Irish story it or is historical? Contemporary. It is contemporary. And they're they're really troubled. The um, two teenagers in the family, the two children are having their own problems. The marriage is having its problems. And they're just, one thing after another seems to happen to them. And uh, Paul Murray uh, wrote Skippy Dies, which was highly acclaimed. I believe that came out in 2011. And I know he's written a couple of other things in between, but the bee sting, like Skippy Dies, is something that's so big. It's like a huge bear hug of a novel in which awful things are happening. People are sad or confused or you know discontented. There's that word again. Much of the time, but somehow they still have hope. Somehow something. Gives well, they're out of Brooklyn. They're out of Brooklyn. They don't have to live in Brooklyn. <laughs> it's a, you know, it, it's just so universal what happens in the bee sting. It's so, funny about, and I, again, I, it's my show. I guess I can do this. I don't really <laughs> like making cultural generalizations, but 
in terms of making universal statements, especially on life and happiness and meaning and tragedy, the Irish mm -hmm. seem to do a particularly good job. I don't know what it is about them. Yeah, I think I, I think they do. And I would never want to make too much of a generalization about that. But I do think island nations like Ireland and like the rest of the UK, it's there's something about that isolation of an island, even if it's very large, that really it's it's the borders, the boundaries. It, it changes something. I'm not sure. But that is the bee sting is so great. It is just great it's one of those well, things don't overdo it because we want people to read the other books too but that <laughs> might be the first book that uh, people read well no excuses now if you're sitting around this weekend or next and you've got nothing to read you haven't watched this but then is the woman who knows about books especially fiction but also non-fiction and we're gonna make a habit of this Bethann. uh yes. have a wonderful birthday next week i don't think we're gonna Thank do a you. show next week because i'll be traveling but we'll see you in a couple of weeks and we'll have some full previews, Bithan. So keep reading and uh, we'll see you again very soon. And happy birthday Thanks. again. Love it. Thanks, Andrew. Bye.